Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Joe Hodas on the Rider Flex podcast. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Good, Steve. How you doing? Doing fine. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. Interesting career. I, I like your story. I, I've uh, been looking forward to this one. Like, you know, very much like me, you know, you were a longtime executive on the marketing side and you're an ops guy too, right? I was an ops guy and uh, a lot of us at our age, we jumped into cannabis, you know, back in whatever it was, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, we kind of jumped in or, or stuck our toe in the water, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, you, you did that. So looking forward to getting into your transition and, and your career in cannabis. But first, I want to know about the, the man, Joe, from uh, his personal life. Give me some family, mom, dad, siblings, where you grew up. Yeah. Give me some of that. Go for it. Sure. So I, uh, I, I grew up mostly in Texas. So I went to high school in Houston, uh, went to the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, when I graduated, I, I moved immediately to Colorado when I realized I could live someplace that did not have humidity and did not have the politics of Texas. So, uh, <laughs> so that, was, uh, that was a no-brainer for me. But I um, uh, was, was dating my now wife at the time. And so the two of us moved up to oh. Colorado together. Yeah. And uh um, subsequently have stayed here for the last many, many years. I don't even want to give you a number. It's many years. Uh, so I've lived here in Colorado more than, more than anywhere else. Um, and definitely did you meet her, you meet her in college, your, your wife. And I did, I did. It was kind of a long and winding road in terms of, uh, a few times of connecting and, you know, ultimately getting together, breaking up, getting together, breaking up that kind of thing. But I'm here to tell you that you can, you can actually make a lot of mistakes along the way and still have a happy marriage we've been married for 25 years now so right um, yeah yeah we have three kids three kids, three kids. okay yep how old, how old are they 13 year old daughter uh, uh now 18 year old son just turned 18 last week uh and then an almost 20 year old uh who goes to the coast school business at indiana so, uh, yeah, having, so. Te having teenagers when you entered uh, cannabis that, that must have been fun they probably thought you were the coolest dad around right well, actually, no, it's, uh, you know, I, I started out, I, I had visions of me keeping up a blog over the last eight years about all of the various adventures in this industry, but I didn't do that, but I did write the very first one, which was all about sharing with my kids who at the time were, I think, 13 and 11, 12 and nine, somewhere in that range. Um, my boys, my daughter was, was far too young to even understand it, but um, they were upset. They were, they were in tears because, really? you know, well, I mean, I, I think in, in, to a certain extent, the uh, just say no to drugs education is beneficial when they're really young. I don't, you know, I don't think any kids should be consuming cannabis unless uh, medically required to do so um, at that age. And, and so for them, it was, you know, 
why, why are you going to do something that's illegal and that's bad and you know uh, you know that kind of thing so they were they were pretty upset and I, i've subsequently said many, on many occasions I'm, I'm glad it did not take um career advice from my 13 year old um uh, because that would have been a bad idea to get out at that time i I think I made the right decision in the long term. And now, now I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit cooler in their eyes, although I still am not very cool in their eyes, but. (laughs) (laughs) How about your, your folks, uh, your parents, are they still in Texas? Well, my, my mom now lives about a a little less than a mile away from me. My dad passed um, about, uh, about 19 years ago um, and long before I got into cannabis. And so um, she moved from Florida. Um, You know, she's, she's 80. So. When I made this move into cannabis, she uh, was concerned and is it the right thing? And, you know, fast forward now she uses cannabis for sleep and, you know, for other things. And she loves getting into discussions with people at the, uh, the place where she lives, retirement community where she lives, because, you know, a lot of them still have the, the old school perspective on cannabis. Yes. And she, likes to, she likes to educate them uh, and, surprise, <laughs> and surprise them a little bit as well. So she's passing out gummies at the, at the, at the, at the complex. That's uh, pretty about. good. It's pretty good. Now, did you, okay. So she, was she from Houston? Did you, one of your parents got a job there or where were they from? Well, we're, we're really East coast family. My, my family is very small. So I have no brothers or sisters. Um, like so my okay. dad passed and so now it's just my mom and I, but I all my cousins, aunts and uncles, they all live uh, East coast. So I was born in, in Poughkeepsie, New York. And we left mm. when I was mm. about five and moved to Texas um, at that time. So, and, and for, okay. for work. So, yeah. Okay, and you uh, got got into University of Texas. Now, Austin back then was still somewhat small, smaller, right? Uh, cool, yeah. cool place to go to school. Did you have fun there on on Sixth Street? Uh, I think I, it is. I loved Austin. I was a bouncer on Sixth Street for for a little Re- while. I, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> that was fun. I had a good time doing that. Um, no, cool. I loved Austin, um, and I still go back generally. Yeah, at least once a year. Um, we go to really? we go to Bernie Bernie, Texas every year for Thanksgiving, which I'll be going tomorrow flying down there. Uh it's, okay. it's in between in between San Antonio and Austin up in the hill country. Um yeah. beautiful, beautiful area. Um oh, so yeah, we, we saw Austin quite a bit. Now, were you a cannabis guy in high school and in college, or were you a late bloomer? Definitely not in high school. Um, my first ex- oh, my first experience with cannabis did come my senior year of high school. Um, and then uh, my freshman year of college, like I'm sure many, you know, kind of became a little bit more uh, a part of my life, but was never, it never was, and still is not today, my primary focus as it relates to what I do recreationally. Yes, as far as my business, as far as the things that I'm passionate about, but, um, but I'm not an everyday consumer. I'm, I'm a, a casual consumer if and when I, when the mood strikes and, you know, it's not, uh, it's not something that I have to, uh, engage in on a regular basis um and same was all was true all throughout college and, and thereafter but i've always been you know an advocate for legalization i've always been an advocate for for the plant but i will tell you that it wasn't until i got into the industry and, and began to really see the effect that it could have for people and, the, and all the good that it could do and, and then you know i wasn't even thinking about social justice and yeah. um you know uh, doing less harm and all that good stuff that i think you know i've learned a lot about in the last uh, 10 years here but you know, I've always been an advocate, just never really understood the impact that this this plant could have. So in college, you were the so if you went to a party and it was there and there was joint being passed around, you're like, exactly. okay, yeah, sure, I'll take a hit. But you weren't the guy that had it. Nobody came to your room and said, hey, Joe, you got you got that back? No, no. <laughs> Maybe once or twice I I, I might have bought a quarter. And of course, yeah. you know, this is Austin, Texas, and 
well, oh. a while ago and it was you know flat pack you know seeds and stems and you know it was oh, not, yeah it wasn't yeah. a very good experience overall <laughs> compared to now <laughs> I try to tell kids today, you know, even my own sons that are in their late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. I just say, you just have no idea what it was like when I, when I was in, when I was in college, first of all, it was shitty weed. If, if, yeah. if anybody did have any, and there weren't any flavors or fancy names or any of that stuff. None of that. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got a bag of a brick and that was it. Go for I it. Remember, I remember the first time somebody said the words sativa and indica to me. And I was like, huh, what does that mean? I don't What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And I guarantee you, they wouldn't have known what I got. No. Anyway. There's no. no way to track that, that, that phenotype. No, no. Yeah. Totally agree. Okay. So English major at UT, like, what, what was your plan? Were you, were you going to be a teacher? Like what were you going to do with that at first? You know, I did, I did actually think I was going to be a teacher, like a okay. more uh, at the university level, professor, writer, kind of that romanticized idea of the, you know, the I English see. major. And then I went to take the, uh, the GRE to get into grad school and I failed it miserably and realized like, all right, maybe, maybe this isn't quite the right thing for me. Now I got into English because A, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, okay. you know, and, okay. and B, I've always been a good writer, a good communicator, which ultimately ended up serving me pretty well for the direction I did go in terms of mm -hmm. PR, communications, and marketing. But mm -hmm. I had no plans at the time. It was just sounded like a good degree, and you know, I, I enjoyed reading and, and I enjoyed, you know, discussing. So, gotcha. Well, did you have a creative flair though? I mean, because you 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 eventually, as you and we don't have to walk through the whole career, but as you started moving through your career, you ended up being a marketing ops executive before you hit C level, right? You're a marketing and ops guy. Uh, which, you know, did you have a little creative flair there for the marketing? How did that develop? You know, I think what I, my creativity and I've, and I've, you know, said this throughout my career, my creativity is, is more in terms of concepts and ideation. I'm not, I can't, like, I'm not great with colors. I tell my team all the time, oh, okay. like, you know, when they're showing me stuff, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm half colorblind <laughs> anyway, but like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the guy who's like, you know, well, that, that mm. shade could be a little bit lighter and that font's not quite right. I just, I just kind of know what works and what doesn't work. And I also know conceptually how I want to reach the consumer or my end target um, with marketing. And so I can then give it to people who are creative to take that and, and, and ideate on that. Okay. As you worked through your career, what happened? Were you doing some consulting and you started consulting for cannabis like how, walk me through that 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 jump over the over the river there right in you know the first time into cannabis go for it well so i was a partner with that agency here in colorado mid-sized about 80 employees and um in 2010 uh, a company came to us and said we need some some help with some branding and this was the very early days of medical marijuana here in colorado and um, I thought it sounded fascinating. So I took it to my partners and I said, hey, I'd love for us to do this. They said, well, okay, it seems like a small enough project kind of under the radar. Uh, the creative team all wanted to do it. So um, so yeah, so we ended up doing a lot of, uh, of the brand work for Dixie Brands, which ultimately became the company that I, that I moved into, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, so this was 2010, we did the logo. Um, we did a bunch of intercepts, which as you probably know, are, you know, when you stand outside of the dispensary and we're asking why you're here today and how to mm -hmm. use cannabis mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. Yeah. And that's when the light, the light bulb really went off for me as I began to read through some of that research. It wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was, right. It wasn't just uh, the 22 year old, you know, lift operator with a bad back who, uh, who needed help with cannabis. It was an, an older woman who needs it for arthritis. It was a middle-aged business person who needs it to relax, whatever the reasons were. 
um, it was a wide variety. And that's when I said, okay, this is interesting. There's much more to this than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kept in touch with the guys at Dixie over the next several years. But as legalization was passed, uh, the visibility of this industry became much greater in Colorado. And at the time, we worked with a lot of very conservative companies like Excel Energy, Centura Health. And <laughs> so my partners kind of got cold feet. And I said, you know what, this is too interesting for us to pass, for me to pass up at least. Mm. And so I ended up mm. moving into cannabis the first week of adult use legalization here in Colorado um, and became the CMO for Dixie. So the client. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Okay. So you obviously established a great relationship over there with the founders when you were, when you were a consultant or you were working for the marketing or ad, ad agency. Right. Uh, and then, then what'd you do? Did you call up, uh, I think, uh, what, what, uh, what's the, uh, the, the lady that owns it? Uh, Whiteman, what is her name? Nancy White. What, oh, Nancy. Yeah. yeah. Well, what Nancy, so Nancy and I met that, that first year that I was at Dixie. Um, it was a small community. It was a very small cannabis community. So we were all, oh, yeah. we were mm-hmm. all down the hill, you know, working on legislation and trying to educate. Okay. And, okay. You know, we all were, were at the regular meetings with everybody. And so Nancy and I got to know each other and I had a tremendous amount of respect for her. And um, we, we began a, a friendship. And interestingly, we'd go to lunch and we'd have, you know, discussions about where's the industry heading and, you know, who needs what kind of oh, people okay. in the organization. And um, it was just never the right time because I went from, I went from Dixie to, I did do a period of consulting for a short period of time um, and worked with a couple of different clients and then ultimately ended up going in-house with another company called uh, General Cannabis um, as their COO. I call it operations light. I'm not a, not a very process, you know, operations kind of guy. I'm more um, on the HR side of operations. Oh, like I see. Okay. Yeah, there we have workflow and all that good stuff. So I was at General Cannabis. Um, Spent a year there and then moved over to a, a true, what I call a true startup called uh, GoFire. We were making a hardware software solution for meter, uh, meter dose inhaler, essentially a vaporizer. You could actually dose in two and a half milligram increments. Um, I remember, came- I remember, I remember uh, testing that product. I think I was, I was somewhere at an event or I don't know. I, I was somewhere. I remember testing that product. Yeah, we brought it out a lot. And unfortunately it was very, very expensive. A lot of moving parts and pieces ran out of funding. Um, and they're, they're still, working on a couple of the of the projects that were that we had started when I was there but um, I uh, ended up leaving and that's when I reached out to Nancy and I said you know let's let's have a conversation and timing just worked out great so that was about a year and a half ago I started at WANA the first week that uh, we had lockdown here in Colorado so I started in my basement and (laughs) never left. (laughs) Wow I mean what a ride there so so after Dixie by the way why why leave Dixie anyway? So you know, it, I've been in companies where you where you see the people that get, I think, frustrated and jaded by what's happening internally, and you know they become they become you know the, the people that you, you don't want in your company. And I I kind of became that person. I just there were just too many internal things I just didn't see eye to eye with, and okay. I could see where it was beginning to eat at me from the inside out, and um, I knew it was time for me to leave. So I made that decision okay. on my own and said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to head out of here. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. Um, it was a great experience and I loved it, but it was just time for me to go. A couple of the smaller ones before you joined Warner brands, were you an investor in any of those? Did you put any cash down or no? Nope. Nope. Okay. All, okay. all sweat equity. You haven't been, you haven't been burned by any cannabis investments yet. That's yet. Not as of yet. I mean, other than the fact that I guess you could say, you know, burn from the standpoint that when I joined these companies, there was the hopes of, of stock <laughs> right. and, and riches right. that, that, didn't, right. that didn't materialize. So I put a lot of time and effort in and 
didn't get that return, but um, but not as an investor now. Okay. Did you negotiate with Nancy for some equity in Warner Brands? <laughs> um, yeah, you, we, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> well, we just recently, I don't know if you saw, we recently had a, a fairly sizable transaction with, uh, with Canopy Growth out of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was exciting. Um, huge, huge announcement that we made. Uh, it's been about a month ago. Um, and Canada, can, Canopy out of Canada, essentially they bought the rights to acquire us when legalization occurs here in the U.S., Okay. So it's an interesting, interesting deal. We get to continue to operate as an independent operator. They don't have any input or impact on the business, but if and when there's a, a, a legalization action here in the U.S., they can exercise that option and then they would own us. Wow. Did that, how did that, did they have to give cash now or they just reached an agreement that said, we will give you cash when it goes legal uh, federally? How, how did that work? I mean, when you say have to, I mean, I guess, uh, <laughs> uh, they they didn't have to, but and obviously in order for us to feel comfortable with uh, the partner, yes. there had to be a cash transaction. So yeah. yes, they they did pay that cash. Yes. What does that mean for Joe? What 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 if, what if they say, hey man, th- thanks anyway. We got our own marketing team up here. What well, happens? That wouldn't be for a while, at least not until legalization occurs. You know, if that was okay. to be the case, um, I think that one of the things that was appealing to them about Juana is that um, we have experience in the U.S. cannabis market where the uh, probably the, the most well-known and largest footprint of any edibles manufacturer in the U.S. and mm-hmm. actually North America because we have a, about a 40% market share in Canada as well. So I think that they they value that experience. They understand our knowledge base. So I don't I don't I don't see myself leaving there anytime soon unless I okay. chose to or unless I'm overestimating uh, what they bought us for. So <laughs> did you get to sit at the negotiating table and be part of the deal on all this? Um, I was obviously as part of the executive team involved in a lot of discussions. We had our COO and our CFO that really drove uh, the negotiations and um, we would, I, I would come in and out of the discussion and, and understand kind of where things were, but definitely not the guy that uh, you want directly at the negotiating table. Just because <laughs> it's not, my, not my area uh, of expertise. So when do you think, when do you think cannabis will go federal across the oh, United man. States? What, what's your guess? Come on, Steve. You know that's a that's a, a impossible it's question tough. to answer. It's tough. It's tough, right? I, I, get I mean, I, you know, it really, I I think full legalization probably not for another. I, I'd say within five years, hopefully three years. I do think that parts and pieces will occur, which which may or may not impact that 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 trajectory, right? Because if something happened with banking that allowed for um, for us to have a more normalized um, banking scenario, or publicly traded companies could tap into uh, markets like the NASDAQ to, to raise funds. And I think that that would um, pretty fundamentally change the overall trajectory. But um, if it doesn't happen on a piecemeal basis, I'd say probably three years at least. Yeah, I would, I would guess if somebody asked me the same question, I'd probably say, you know, maybe five years, but this this shit moves slow. Uh, I'm sure over the last 10 years, you've had some pretty wild and crazy stories, uh, for, for the listeners that don't know. I mean, when you enter cannabis, especially back when it first started, it's just a completely different world, especially if you came from like a fortune 500 company, like Nike or Coke or or Pepsi or something like that. You come over to, you come over to cannabis eight years ago and you're, 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 your head pops off your shoulders. You're like, Oh, okay. This is a different world. <laughs> way to put hey, it. What's your, what, give, give me a fun story. Give me, give me like what crazy moment where you came home, you told your wife, you're like, Holy shit. I don't know if I can do this or not. <laughs> well, I can tell you 
I can tell you a, a really difficult personal story, and then I can tell you some more of the fun stories. So, okay, go for it. Probably about probably about three months um, into my tenure with Dixie, this was at the very beginning of adult use legalization here in Colorado. Um, there was an incident with um, a, a person who had uh, killed his wife, uh, okay. and then claimed that he had eaten edibles and that it made him, you know, have a psychotic break. And edibles were responsible for what had happened. Turned out that this family actually went to school with my with my kids. Um, oh. It was at a, the the elementary school where my kids go. Wow, uh, I went. Um, and so obviously wow. had a very. I didn't know the family. I didn't know them personally, but certainly had a very um, mm. definitive impact. Given that I was three months into it, right? And so I didn't mm. really know. I didn't know all the details. Now I think you know as as this went to trial and all that good stuff. I think it became clear that um, it wasn't edibles that created the situation but nonetheless i mean i certainly paused i remember calling my ceo at that point and being like i don't know what to do with this i don't know how to process yeah. this this is this is really mm-hmm. not what i expected right mm-hmm. um and you know but subsequently that along with a couple of other unfortunate tragedies led to some changes in the regulatory environment which we supported and including the the move to a 10 milligram per piece maximum mm-hmm. for for products which became the the de facto um, um, serving mm-hmm. size in almost every market subsequent to that. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the fun, I guess on the more fun story side, a couple of things. Uh, my first, we, they used to have the Cannabis Cup here in Colorado, uh, and it was at the Denver Merchandise Mart, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with that area, but it's yeah. like a big, you know, mm-hmm. convention center, but big parking lot. Anyway, um, it was the first year, it was April of 2014 and um, I had just become the CMO of Dixie and, and so we wanted to go big and we built this double decker uh, uh, out of containers so just getting those containers to stand on each other and having the the fire department there to make sure that you know everything was was okay to allow for weight up there and all that that was stressing me out but then we get to the event and you know what the most genius thing we did at this event where it was thousands upon thousands of, of, of people consuming cannabis and all these right. companies and yeah. smartest thing, marketing thing we did, we had water, <laughs> good water. It was, it was late April and it was, but it was already hot and mm. people were passing out. Like there was a directly from my line of sight. This was when you could do when public consumption wasn't like kind of cramped down on it at that point in time. So there were dab bars. People were, were dabbing, <laughs> which I'd never seen before. I'd never seen dabbing before. <laughs> Certainly not in person, and you know, people were passing out, and I was like, I was freaking out, like, oh my god! So we ended up getting a ton of water, and that's how we became the most popular booth in the area was having uh, having water. But I will tell you that I also had a conversation with the um, the police officers that were there that were monitoring everything, and I said uh-huh. to them, like, is this like completely insane for you guys? This is now legal, and this is going on. He said, you know what? He said, I would much rather be a police officer at this event than the great American beer festival that I've also worked. He's like, right. Completely, completely different vibe, completely different yes. level of security needs here versus at a great American beer festival. So, so true. I, like, All right, well, that, I like that answer. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> uh, yeah. The dabbing, uh, you know, I'm like you, like we're pretty close to the same age, very, very similar age. I uh, I'm, I'm very much like you. I am a casual social, like, Hey, if it's, I don't know, somebody came over, it's a birthday party or, it's kind of a special weekend or whatever, you know, it's socially, I, I, I'll partake, but d- d- dabbing and stuff, I, I can't, I mean, that's just way, it's way too powerful for me. I can't, I can't do that. I don't know how people do that. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I had a bunch of, when I was at GoFire, I had a bunch of young guys that, that worked for me and that was their primary 
yeah. mode of consumption, as it is for many in the sort of 21 to 27 yes. range. Yes. And, yes. Um, you know, they explained to me like early days, the, the way that the way the diving works, the, the temperatures people would 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 try and scorch, like get really, really hot uh, nail for for the for the concentrate. And the temperature settings really affect the volatility of the, of the cannabis and of the terpenes, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, basically what they, they educated me on, I, I never tried it, but what they educated me on was that it was the, the temperature that, was, that would cause people to pass out, not so much the cannabis. They have it at a much lower temperature. Um, Didn't you know. know. Okay. Yeah, it's just their, their way that they like to consume, and it seems to work for them. So. Oh, it's super popular with the 20-year-olds. Now, the... The, the gummies are uh, super are, are very popular with older people too at least that's my that's my read on the situation uh, older people people in pain people take them for sleep especially for sleep uh, you guys are don't you have like a fast acting I don't know what they, I don't know what the right terminology is but you know one of the complaints about gummies is you take it and it's like okay now it's an hour later I'm just now getting the hit don't you guys have a I don't know some kind of fast track fast acting product? We do. We do. In fact, we launched our quick product line right about as I was starting. So it's been about a year and a half. Okay. And it uses, uh, we partnered with a company called Azuka. So we use their technology and I'm going to use the term, which is nanotechnology um, okay. that gets thrown around a lot in this space. And the idea at a high level is nanotechnology breaks down the molecules. So they're, so they're much smaller. So they're more easily and quickly absorbed. The I issue see. is that it took us two years to find the right partner and a lot of research uh, in R&D because um, many companies were claiming to have fast acting technologies, but they weren't really fast acting because that, that nanomolecule has to be, mm. and my, my innovation uh, VP would probably kill me because I'm gonna get this wrong, but it, it would have to be like sub 20 nanometers, which that's really small, right? Sub 20 nanometers to really be truly a, a nano emulsified product. And so most products were not really fast acting. So there was a lot of, confusion right so people would say okay it's fast acting but then yep. consumers would try it and say it's not fast acting so it took us two years we finally launched it and the market absolutely responded and this is a product that not only is it fast acting but it actually encapsulates the molecule so i don't know if you know this scott but or sorry scott steve when you yeah. um yeah when you uh uh digest cannabis it actually becomes uh it, it changes the, the molecular structure from Delta nine, which is the cannabis molecule when you smoke it, is delta nine. When okay. you eat it, your liver has an enzyme in it that converts it to what's called 11 hydroxy, which mm. is why edibles have um, a different effect on most people than um, than to smoking. But with our product, it actually um, it wraps the molecule um, in a way that kind of tricks the body into thinking that it's it's water and not cannabis, and so huh. it doesn't get that molecule doesn't digest. Or sorry, it doesn't convert the um, the the cannabis, so it stays delta nine. So you have a more of a smoker's high effect from an edible, which was also a very unique thing. And so now we're applying it to things like you mentioned sleep. We just launched a sleep product called Fast Asleep. So um, great. It's great, it's great for going to bed. It's also great for you know if someone wakes up at midnight and they're like, oh, I have trouble falling back to sleep. This is a great product for that. And you know, if you wake up at midnight, you're not getting up till five or six. You're still okay to take it. See, that's key right there. That, that so is huge. Is also, I, I think that's we, huge. We did a lot of research on this, and, and our research showed that a problem, the problem with a lot of sleep products is that they, they have too much THC, right? So mm -hmm. THC is interesting because on the low end, it can really help with sleep. As you consume more and or too much, it actually is disruptive to sleep. So even so, people, people may say, well, I'm super, you know, maybe super tired, I passed out or whatever. 
it's actually not really good quality sleep if there's too much cannabis involved so, or too much mm. THC involved. So we actually, this product has only two milligrams of THC um, per serving, but it also has CBN, CBG, CBD, and just a, a little bit of melatonin. So that together really creates a, a, a very effective sleep product, but also doesn't leave you groggy in the morning. You don't wake up feeling kind of weird. That's huge. I mean, I, I, I would think that would be your number one selling product, a, a gummy that will put you to sleep quickly, not make you wake up feeling weird. You still yep. rest easy. I mean, there's so many people that would take that. I mean, holy cow, that's, you know, cause I hear, I've heard all these complaints, you know, about the different things we just talked about, uh, but the fast acting going to sleep is that's huge. Um, very good. So, so you're enjoying your stay at Warner brands. Um, what, what's, so is Joe going to be like CEO next of a cannabis company? What, what, what's the, what's the plan here? Well, when this, when this, when the Canadian company takes over Warner brands eventually, um, you know, who knows what could happen then? What's, do you want to be CEO? Do you like being CMO? What's, what is Joe like doing? You know, it, it, it's a, it's a great question. I appreciate it. Um, I think it's interesting. I, when I, I went to dinner with my former CEO from Dixie a couple of weeks ago and, and he's like, you know, I'm really glad to see that you kind of went back to what you know and do really well, which is marketing. You know, and I kind of, so I did, I did the COO thing for a little bit. I did a, a CEO stint with, with GoFire for a little bit. I, and while I think I like conceptually the idea of helping to build companies, I think I really, I'm really good at marketing. I enjoy marketing and I can still have an impact on the company as a whole. So I don't know that I'm the person who says, well, I want to be the CEO of the company. I really like contributing at the level that I'm contributing at right now. So I don't see okay. a, a massive change uh, coming anytime soon. And I think more importantly, and this is what I learned in moving to Lana, what I was missing in my career, not just cannabis, but my career as a whole were opportunities to align my personal values with the company that I work for. Mm. Um, mm. And it wasn't, you know, you'd think uh, being as old as I am, I would have figured this out a while ago, but it took me a little while to realize like, that's when I don't feel comfortable. Like when I'm, when I'm out of whack, when my company's out of whack with my own personal values and, or, you know, I don't feel there's respect. I don't feel there's integrity or, you know, those things that are important to me, that's when I'm not happy in my career. So Juana has, I think, provided me with a, a great home for that reason. And that to me is more important. I know it sounds cliche, but that to me is more important than necessarily am I the CEO of the company or am mm -hmm. I just marketing guy? Great. Very good. What advice would you give an executive working for a Fortune 500 company that, that thinks they want to get into cannabis uh, or they're about to get into cannabis? The reason I, you know, at RiderFlex, we're, our day job is a recruiting firm. You know, as you know, the podcast is something we do on the side. So we're, we're interviewing people all the time and constantly recruiting executives to come into cannabis. And I, I have this big, long speech that I give them, you know, when I get them on the phone, I'm like, look, man, you, you know, let me just tell you how this is going to go. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> what advice uh, does Joe give uh, an executive thinking of crossing the bridge into cannabis? You know, that's, that's a really great question. It's one that I can give an answer to, but I can guarantee you that until someone lives through it, they, this probably won't make as much sense. <laughs> right. Um, if, if you need, if you need certainty and structure, this isn't the industry for you. Um, if you need, um, if you need infrastructure, this is probably not the industry for you. Um, if you need a linear path, um, this is not the industry for you. Um, and if you're not able to really be the kind of person that can overcome obstacles, break through walls, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, 
then this industry is not right for you. If you have all of those skills, um, but you also don't have a tolerance for uh, for a, a wide variety of people. I find that, you know, in, in my past history, corporate jobs, you, you have a very, even if you have a diverse workforce, it's still somewhat homogenous mm-hmm. inside of a company. Cannabis is not homogenous. It is, it comes in many shapes and colors and sizes, and you have to have tolerance for that. And, and I, I want to pause on that for a second, because I think about like some of my friends who I have a really close friend who's in commercial real estate and some, some other people that are in you know banking and insurance. And, and I think about them being in this industry and, and doing what I do, not because I'm skilled at what I do, but more so because I have a disposition that allows me to, I think, be more accepting in, in, of, of people and their quirks. I think about these other buddies of mine. I'm like, there's no way they would have the patience or the tolerance for this. No way. They would, they would lose their shit in like a month of this industry. And so you have to be able to, to, to tolerate people. And, you know, I don't know any other way to say it, but you have to be able to tolerate people. <laughs> yep. I love all of that. Great advice, Joe. How about this advice for a uh, marketing middle manager? Let's say they're at the manager or maybe director level, maybe even early VP. They're just, they want to be CMO someday. They want to make the C level. Uh, and they're a middle management uh, marketing person. What advice would you give them to, uh, to help them, you know, reach their goals and, and move up. Anything you'd say to them today? Yeah, I, I say three things. One, take risk. Take mm. risk because to do to do the same thing that everyone else does day in day out, or what has ever whatever has worked for your company, to do that over and over again. You know, plug in a budget, buy your Facebook ads, whatever it is. That's not gonna that's not gonna get you noticed. It's not gonna push you. Um, mm. to be better at your job. And I think that it's scary at times and sometimes those risks and, and you know, will fail, uh, but that's just part of the, that's part of the gig, right? So if it does fail, know why it failed and, and, and don't do that again, but also be, you know, be risk, uh, be able to take those risks and, and capitalize on them when they do work. Two, um, I would say be friendly, be a resource to everybody, mm. right? So, so oftentimes, in marketing and in other parts of a company, people like their little fiefdoms, right? Like this is marketing. Don't step on my toes. Don't, you know, that's not your, don't, don't get involved in our marketing business. That's, that's mine. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Don't do that because that's just going to, that's going to impede your growth. It's going to look, it's going to make you seem as if you're not the person willing to kind of work with everybody and help the, the greater good of the company. Um, so that would be uh, advice point number two. And I think advice point number three is um, think in terms of, um, think in terms of the brand, right? Don't just think myopically about a campaign or mm-hmm. an execution. Think in terms of the brand as a whole and does it benefit the brand to do what you're doing? Because the brand um, has to live beyond the creative. It has to be uh, a part of the DNA of the company. So really think about the alignment of everything you're doing. Does it make sense for the, for the brand as a whole? Mm. Good advice. Were there ever some times when your wife uh, turned over to you in bed and, and said, Joe, what, what the hell? Can you just go back and get like a regular job? <laughs> you know what? Not once. And, and I'm going to tell you, she is, she is risk averse. She is, she likes, really, you know, you know kind of the, to be comfortable <laughs> in the familiar, familiarity, familiarity thing. Uh, yeah. Not once. She never once oh, told me that and wow. supported it throughout the entire process. So um, that's great. That's that's great. Now, can you can you smoke on the back porch uh, with your twenty year old uh, uh, when uh, Thanksgiving dinner or no? No, uh-uh. no, I'm no. Not, I don't. Uh, 
Mm-mm, I don't do that. Not, not with the kids. How about okay? All right. All right. It's too too weird. Still too kind of kind of. It's just kind of odd, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and you know, particularly, I, I don't believe in um, people under the age of twenty one consuming unless it's medically required to do so. I know they do. I'm not suggesting that they don't. Yeah. I certainly do, right? But <laughs> but um, but I don't I don't know that I want to promote that or make that a a habit for anybody. Um, yeah. So that's part of it too. So I don't have anybody over the age of twenty one yet. <laughs> I remember the first time I smoked with one of my sons, uh, I don't know, I guess maybe he was 25, 26 or whatever. And he was over. Uh, and of course I knew that they, ca- they were the same thing. They were casual, you know, smokers, maybe they were at a party or whatever. Uh, I remember the very first time we smoked together. Um, it was odd for me. It was, it was, it was, I, I was like, okay, this is, this is weird. Like, I don't know if I can do this or not. <laughs> and have you What's that? And have you since? Um, no, actually, that was the only time. Yeah, that was the okay. only time. The, yeah, and, and it, not not because we, it just hasn't come up or whatever, right? You know, it just hadn't been been the moment. I guess it'll probably it'll probably come up again sooner or later. But uh, yeah, I just remember the first time th- I told my wife, I'm like, I, I don't know, this is this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can, uh, I can get uh, let me let me ask you a couple of questions here as we move towards wrap up there's some interesting things going on right now with companies and employees on a couple of hot touchy topics. I don't know if you want to comment on them or not. A lot Uh, of issues going on right now. Right. Right. (laughs) I know. Uh, How about this one? What are you guys going to do on the, the, the COVID thing? Are you, are you going to make people come back to the office? Are you going to make them be vaccinated? Are you going to make them wear a mask? Are you, are you waiting to see what happens with this this Biden order with OSHA? Like, where, where are you guys at? I'm just curious. Yeah, so we've been pretty conservative all on the way, and, and part of it is that our office. So we we have like I'm gonna say I'm gonna use the word campus. It's not a, it's not glamorous. Okay. It's not like a Google campus, but it's okay. a couple of buildings that are all together. Okay. Um, one of which is the corporate offices, but then sort of across the street from there would be our production facility. And so there's enough okay. cross traffic between the two that mm-hmm. we knew we had to protect that, that production facility from, um, from exposure. So, um, okay. you know, we, we uh, like I said, the first week of, of me working at WANA, we started uh, a lockdown in Colorado. So um, come uh, fast forward to this past summer, we started to consider coming back to the office. And I actually said to my team, we're gonna start coming back two days in the office, three days from home, because everyone really still like, like working from home. But we yeah. also wanted the office environment. so. Um, we began to move in that direction. I think we had two weeks of that. And then um, the whole Delta variant became the hot topic. And so um, mm. our COO, Dan, was like, I don't think I want people in the office right now. So we, we moved back away to the work, work from home plan and haven't left since. Um, and really okay. haven't talked about it a lot in terms of when we might make that move back. I mean, here in Colorado, it's, it continues to be you know significant, right? The, the spikes are... Uh, parallel to any of the worst periods from uh, from 2020. So um, I mm-hmm. wouldn't say we're out of the woods by any means here. Um, but when people are in the office, yes, mass, yes, we do require them to be vaccinated. Um, so okay. um, I know that's a touchy subject for, for many employers and, and on a national debate level, but we've, we have said early on, if you want to work in our facility, you need to be vaccinated. Gotcha. And so, so right now, if you hired a recruiting firm like Riderflex and we were doing recruiting for you, you would, you would have us tell the candidates like, look, you got to be vaccinated to work there. Correct. 
Do you, do you think that's causing uh, you to miss out on, on talent or be short staffed or anything? I'm hearing noise like that. I don't, you know, I don't know if you're seeing anything like that. Well, no, it hasn't yet. And I think, I, I think part of that is that we're not, we're not massive. We don't, and we don't have a ton of turnover, right? So okay. we're not, yeah. we're not seeing a mass exodus of employees. And frankly, I think we treat our employees really well and they like working for the company. So we're not seeing mm-hmm. a ton of turn- turnover. Most okay. of our new hires are expansion hires. So we're looking to add headcount, not replace headcount. And I think, mm-hmm. um, I think cannabis as a whole and WANA as a company are de- desirable enough that we get a, a pretty good field of candidates for most positions that we post. Do you, do you think we're headed towards a hybrid model forever? Do you like the hybrid model a couple of days in, a couple of days out? Do you prefer full remote, full office? And, and where, what do you prefer and where do you think it's headed as a nation? Yeah, so for me, I prefer, I prefer the hybrid model. Um, okay. And um, part of it is that uh, we're, so the company is in Boulder, I'm in Denver. And it's about a 45 minute commute with no traffic. So um, I kind of like the idea of being able to work from home maybe three days a week, but I also like the commute because I forgot the few times I've done it. I was like, Oh, this is when I used to do my phone calls and catch up on things. And, <laughs> um, so I did like having that time um, to myself in the car, but I think for me personally, that that hybrid model really is a, is a good okay. fit and, and the marketing side, like I can't, you know, what I was going to say about the, the future for employment in general is that it really depends upon the role. I think for right. marketers, I think for marketers, there is a, um, an energy that we thrive on a creativity that when we're together, mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's just mm-hmm. a good energy, right? However, there's a lot of work too. We got to be heads down, cranking stuff out. So that mix of being able to be together for a little bit, feed off of each other's energy, but then going back to our, our separate quiet places and, and really focusing on what we need to get done, I think really works for marketing. If you're mm-hmm. on the production side of things, if you are um, in a, in a, in a job that requires you to, to bounce back and forth between departments, I would say it's, it's harder, but um, but I think that most companies, in my estimation, and from what I've read and what I've talked to other people, there will there will be a hybrid model for most moving forward. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think that's where it's headed. At Riderflex, we're fully remote primarily because all the recruiters live in different states. But mm-hmm. um, you know, if we all were in Colorado, we might be doing a hybrid model too. I, I do like that idea, and most CEOs I talk to are headed that direction. Now, I have. We recruit for a few hardcore CEOs where they're like, I want everybody in the building. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, you're, that's, that's kind of old school. I don't know. <laughs> it really is like, you know, when that was one of the realizations we had, um, we were more productive in 2020, greater sales, you know, huge <laughs> numbers. I mean, and we were all working remotely. Like, right. What does that tell you? Right. What does I that mean, tell you? Just... Yeah. I always, I always tell people, I'm like, look, if you're, if you're worried about Johnny working from home, then Johnny probably shouldn't be working for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. That's exactly right. Like if you have to have your eye on him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Two, two uh, final questions here. Um, first one is this. You've had a great career, by the way, and congratulations Thank on you. the, on the successful jump into cannabis and you're still there. <laughs> no, like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I mean, hey, there's not very many guys like that. I mean, really, so many people try to make the jump, they can't, or they do for a little while, then they go back or whatever. Yeah, you've yeah. Uh, one of the few, one of the few, you made the jump early, which took balls and was very risky, you made the jump early, and now you're super successful still there. So, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. If you could call the young man coming out of UT, 
uh, and tell him anything at the age of 21? Or what would you tell him based on what you've learned so far? I'll go back to what I said earlier already, which was risks, take risks. Um, you know, I think in my younger years, um, uh, it, it, my, the, the, my risk taking got subsequently better as I got older. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't realize it's not a linear path. Taking risks is important. Um, and that there is no right or wrong. It's, it's all about the journey and where that takes you. So it's not that this was a good decision. That was a bad decision. They're both decisions and you have to learn from them good or bad. And I don't think I, I think I felt like there should be like this coming out of college, at least there should be, you get a job, you do that job for three years, you move on to the next, you know, it, it, but it doesn't work that way. And I think mm -hmm. taking more risk and understanding that it's not a, a linear path is really important. Last question. If you could put your core purpose in life into a sentence right now, what, what would that sound like? Wow. That's a, that's a deep question, Steve. Um, if I could put my core purpose into a sentence, um, I think my core purpose in life right now is to um, contribute positively to the world in which I live, whether that's through my work, through charitable efforts, or through the values that I instill with my family, it's to put more good back in the world than I, than I, than I take out. Love it. Love so that's it. What Joe, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your journey. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate you having me and uh, I enjoy it. I appreciate it.